1: uh on what is a sort of looking out the window a relatively sunny friday afternoon in brisbane um just to begin with paul why don't you let us know about your current professional responsibilities
2: yeah hi richard and uh, look thanks for the opportunity of uh, participating in the arate uh, podcasts um of um uh, you've got a real reputation for uh, for uh, for this kind of media You're talking uh, rubbish. I'm talking rubbish. No, I said you,
1: know, you, you said Richard, you've got a real reputation for talking rubbish.
2: <laughs> so yeah, look, Richard, my um, my responsibilities. I'm I'm currently the uh, the CEO of Concept Environmental Services. Um, I've been in this role for roughly twelve months. Um, the uh, and uh, and I was appointed to, to this position by a, a fantastic recruitment consultant. Uh, by <laughs> <Richard>. uh, <laughs> Um, and uh, look, so my responsibility is. Um, is the concept's been going for uh, for ten years. Um, we, uh, the company, was founded by uh, Sean uh, Barry and uh, Karen Jeffries uh, roughly ten years ago. Uh, they developed a um, uh, some core technology called the Concept Tank, which is a unique patented uh, technology that was um, that was used in coal seam gas. Um, so what? Um, so the last ten years, it's the, it's been the one of the, uh, the the go-to products for coal seam gas. What um, what they brought me into the business to do is to um, is to um, solidify the business that we've got now, and take that core technology and uh, grow markets uh, outside uh, that coal seam gas industry because the, the core technology is um, is uh, uh, applicable in lots of different markets. It's applicable in the utilities market and biogas, uh, general industrial. Uh, mining tailings management. Uh, so there's lots of different applications for it. So, uh, so what uh, what they wanted uh, was for someone to come into the organisation and, and lead lead the organisation um, from a um, from a um, you know, governance leadership you know, business organisation perspective, uh, but also take the uh, take that core technology and um, develop markets outside um, outside oil and gas uh, and outside mining. And uh, and we're uh, we're doing a um, and the the team here is uh, they're a fantastic bunch of professionals, um, and uh, and we really have uh, made a lot of ground up in uh, in uh, in taking that technology and moving into into different markets. Mm. So it's a it's a really exciting it's a business growth um, uh, um, role, business growth CEO's role. Um, it's um, it's a we've got a fantastic company, really good people, really stable financially, um, with a, a really a, a, a game changing core technology uh,
1: that we can uh, we can apply in different different parts of the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Thanks, Paul. That's an excellent introduction, and uh, appreciate the kind words about uh, uh, us recruiting into your role. And you know, this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast, and all for me because what i'm most interested in is you know you've been in the role for literally a year and and sort of it be what i'm really interested in you know we'll talk about this a bit later in the podcast is sort of you know, what were your impressions going in what was the mandate and a year later you know how do you feel you've been able to deliver on the mandate and also in hindsight you know because that first people often talk about the first 90 days right as being Pivotal, new CEO comes in first 90 days, but really that first 12 months, I mean, that is the major milestone to know, am I truly making a difference to this business? Is this business giving to me what I need in terms of my career satisfaction? Um, You know, what if I learn about myself in this period? But anyway, let's, let's come back to that because another thing is interesting, you know, you and I having known each other for a long time. You've had such an interesting career in that you've worked in large corporates, you've worked in small business, you've worked in family business, you've worked, if I remember correctly, you know, you're in the armed forces. So, uh, you know, it's not a sort of traditional career path. So why don't we just sort of go back briefly, you know, and talk about sort of where things started from you, you know, uh, tell us about, uh, you know, where you were born in your early life and just sort of a quick um, uh, journey through your career to now. Yeah, no, no problems at all, Richard.
2: <coughs> um, look, uh, my um, uh, uh, my early career, uh, and I was so sorry. I was, I was brought up in Auckland, in New Zealand, so I'm a Kiwi. Um, and uh, my first eighteen years of life was uh, was in Auckland. Uh, I went to uh, went to school in Auckland. Uh, we um, mum, dad lived in uh, in in the suburbs in Auckland. Uh, dad worked for the Auckland Savings Bank. Uh, Started off as he left school when he was fifteen. Started off there when he, he was um, uh, when he was fifteen and and retired from there after after thirty odd years working for the Auckland Savings Bank as a um, the EDP auditor. So he, he uh, eventually got out of um, out of general banking work and went into the computer side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so and, and I went to uh, went to a school there called St Kinnegin College, which was. Um, St Kildin, for those of the, those of you who are interested, he's the patron saint of Glasgow. Okay. Um, he, uh, the uh, um, it's a very much a, a, a Scottish uh, Presbyterian value type uh, type school, um, uh, so particularly uh, around uh, saving money. Right. Hard rules and hard drinking. Hard rules, hard drinking, and don't spend money. And I think that's (laughs) probably been been some core values that have uh, have lived with me for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, And look, I was fortunate enough in in my last year of school, which was Form 7 in those days in New Zealand, um, to have a teacher called Austin Cupid, and uh, he was our, our physics master. And uh, he had a fantastic sense of humor and him and I just just clicked and um, when when we're talking through what the um, yeah, what the possible you know, career alternatives were for me um, I was really good at maths and sciences and chemistry and physics um, but I also um, had this desire to um, to lead people uh, and I uh, um, so in discussions with Austin Cupid, um, he, uh, he said, why don't you look at uh, joining the RNZAF so you can get the, uh, the Royal New Zealand Air Force, so you can get a, um, um, a have a technical career. Uh, and at the same time, um, you can lead a bunch of people. And uh, um, I, uh, I had a look at the opportunity and thought, you yeah, know, this, um, this is me. Um, I had a uh, great uncle that was a Lancaster pilot during the Second World War. Mm-hmm and he was uh, he was a bit of a bit of a hero for me um, he had a he was a he was a he was a great bloke uh, and uh, so and I thought yeah no I think uh, joining the RNZDF would be a, a, a great start to a young fellow's career
1: Now, i remember so, that lancasters had something like the worst record for the average life of their crew right yeah so was that part of your consideration oh this looks really good but if I was in a gunfire probably the plane would be destroyed within ten seconds.
2: <laughs> yeah, look, I, it, <coughs> it, it probably wasn't um, uh, probably wasn't a major consideration <laughs> because uh, because I, I uh, my eyesight wasn't such that I could have been a pilot. So right. uh, so I became an engineer in the oh, RNZF. So uh, uh, so the the, um, um, the um, so I was. Um, I started off as a uh, as an officer cadet with the New Zealand Air mm. Force. Uh, they put me through university to do an engineering degree at Canterbury, uh, and uh, for all intents and purposes, we were uh, we were university students for the first four years, um, other than uh, having to wear uh, an Air Force uniform to university, which was uh, which was interesting in those days. Um, so, um, so yes, yeah, so I did uh, did four years there, and during university holidays, um, we'd do our basic training and uh, and practical work on different squadrons around uh, around the country. Um, and uh, and I, you know, I really did enjoy that that people work. You know, I enjoyed the the, uh, the technical side of the role, uh, but I, I what I really enjoyed was um, uh, was um, was leading a bunch of people and uh, to achieve goals. Um, when um, when I when I graduated from university, I was posted to, uh, to the to the fighter base in Hakea, um which was um, uh, which was a which was a fantastic experience. So I was I was given um, uh, I, was, I was looking after the um, uh, initially um, uh, the. Um, uh, what do they call it, um, significant maintenance on Skyhawks and Strike Masters as it was in those days. So taking engines out and doing um, doing an in-depth maintenance on the aircraft. So I, was, I, was, I had um, 40-odd people working for me. I was 22. Mm-hmm. So the average age of the people that were working for me were probably over 40. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a real character-building um, experience and getting, getting people to... Um, uh, to achieve the goal and maximize the uh, the aircraft that were out on the flight line for the pilots to take them up in the air and break them and come back down to ground and we would fix them again. Um, uh, so it was a, a really there was a really clear goal, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and so my role was to make sure that make sure that we had the um, the equipment, uh, the spare parts, the people, the manpower, the experience to uh, to maximize the uh, the availability of the aircraft out on the flight line. Mm-hmm. Um, then um, um, after uh, a year or so on that role they um, they had an opportunity for uh, someone to run all of the um, the, uh, the, the uh, manufacturing facility because most of the New Zealand aircraft were were uh, 30, 40 years old, um, and you couldn't get spare parts, so you mm-hmm. had to take, uh, you know, literally, in a lot of cases, a, a block of uh, a block of material, uh, and machine uh, com- aircraft components out of uh, out of the blocks blocks of steel, um, or material, um, and uh, so I, I was looking after a, a fabrication workshop, a, a machining workshop, a glass reinforced plastic. Uh, workshop, and that that was really um, cutting my teeth in in manufacturing and understanding what uh, quality manufacturing, how how to manufacture quality components, because you, um, you you don't get uh, too many too many chances of uh, of things failing when it's up in the air. Mm-hmm.
1: Just, just um, as a very very brief aside, without spending any time on it, imagine now or surely in the future with three D printing. You know, you buy your plane, you buy all of the schematics or whatever you need. And so, oh, we need a new blah, blah, blah. You just push a button. I mean, how fundamentally that changes that
0: okay. industry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Fundamentally changes yeah. it. It, um, it changes the skills that's that's required. It ch- changes the uh, yeah, just simply the the size of the manufacturing facilities that you need to do that kind mm. of thing. Um, mm. Changes your supply chain. Uh, everything has changed as a result of that mm. that disruptive te- technology. Mm.
1: So sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So uh, no,
2: that's right. Um, so um, so then um, then I was offered a um, offered a. Um, uh, a, a, a position Or a, um, a course over here in Australia uh, At Orchard Hills RAF Orchard Hills down in Sydney uh, To do a, an explosives armament uh, Course so, um, so it was at the, uh, the One central ammunition depot in, in Sydney Which was just just an absolutely Sensational place So it was out by Penrith um, And the, the, uh, the officers mess was uh, on this hill Surrounded by nine holes of golf Or nine, <laughs> uh, nine golf holes Right. Um, so, uh, so we would, um, uh, we would, you know, during the day, would uh, go to lectures and classes, and then at night go and have nine holes of golf and a few beers in the bar afterwards. And, and what rank were you lifestyle. then? Um, I was a flight lieutenant then. Right. So, so yeah, so uh, so I was a yeah, um, I was an army captain equivalent. Okay. All um, right. So, uh, and that so, was fantastic. So really a, big, a that. big
1: enough cheese to get some, uh, get some good benefits. That's
2: right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No, okay. So it was uh, it was a it was a great experience there in in uh, at RAF Orchard Hills, and they're f- fantastic people there. Um, you will see there's
1: an audio, but Paul's got a very sort of cheeky smile on his face, so it's obviously <laughs> a good time.
2: That's right. <laughs> uh, and there was um, there was lots of uh, lots of New Zealand versus Australian rivalry, uh, which culminated on our uh, when we uh, when we graduated from the course um, the. Uh, the uh, the the base commander was uh, Wing Commander Wing Commander Moore, uh, and uh, so for for our uh, for the for the final ceremony, I had my I got uh, got a New Zealand officer's hat uh, and and sewed corks onto the, uh, onto the onto the onto the onto the rim. And uh, he, uh, he got me up to the, at, at our farewell dinner and presented me with a pair of uh, gloves that had Velcro sewn on them, oh. um, which uh, his PA told me that he actually sat in his office and, uh, and personally sewed the Velcro onto it. Oh, really? Leather gloves. So, well, for, so and they,
1: those people who don't know that joke, ask a friend. Uh, That's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> why? why why do they give New Zealanders gloves with Velcro? We, we won't right. get into that here. Now, uh, Paul, I know you're a bit pushed for time, so uh, you know I want to make sure we get into the juicy stuff. So, uh, okay, so you're in the air forces, and um, yep. and so what sort of motivated you to exit?
2: Uh, look, so, so it was always um, uh, always my goal to um, to um, to not uh, to get into uh, into um, uh, into the general economy. Um, rather than, you know, I didn't see myself as being a 20 or 30 year military um, veteran. Um, so I was, I was keen to uh, see if I could get into corporate life. Um, so uh, so when I got out of the, uh, the military, I was lucky enough to get a um, a, a, <coughs> <pardon me coughs> a maintenance manager's job for, a, uh, for an ICI chemical plant uh, mm-hmm. in <coughs> me, in Mount Monganui in um, just south of Auckland in a fantastic part of uh, uh, part of New Zealand it's called the Bay of Plenty um, we uh, we actually uh, bought a kiwi fruit orchard when we got out of the air Force and, and we've still got that and still operate that uh, and that was uh, so this ICI plant was um, in the port in Mount Monganui so we used to take acids and alkalis and make cleaning chemicals for the um, you know the, the dairy industry for pulp and paper all sorts of things so it was a, a really good really good role mm. And uh, we had a, uh, um, Gordon Davis, who ended up being the, um, he was the CEO of the Australian Wheat Board. Um, he, was, um, he was sent over from, um, uh, from Australia to New Zealand to be the, the general manager of that business. Um, and uh, he, um, Gordon obviously saw something in me and, uh, and offered me the position of manufacturing manager for that site. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I, I stepped up there. Um, Gordon shipped it back to Australia to Insitec. And uh, um, he, um, uh, he, I got a call one day when I was sitting over there in New Zealand and uh, he said, would you like to come over to Australia and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, join mm-hmm.
1: um
2: which um, I, we had a look at the opportunity when, my wife and Emma uh, came over to Australia uh, and um, we had a look at uh, look at Brisbane and we thought, yeah, no, this would be a, a fantastic spot to live for about three years. Well, that was uh, 22 years ago now. So uh, so we, we uh, love Australia, love uh, uh, living in Australia, love the opportunities that Australia has given us, uh, but always will support the All Blacks, unfortunately. And we became card-carrying uh, passport uh, holders of Australia. Uh, but uh, but we, uh, unfortunately, can't support the Wallabies. So,
1: okay. uh, we And, um, you know, just to interject with a quick question again, not to get too diverted by this, but I'm interested, you know, you're 20 years old, you're managing 40-something-year-old guys, you know, but you're doing that within a military context where there's this thing called rank, right? How did you find you had to change your leadership style coming into a commercial organisation where... Okay, there are you know there are there's a hierarchy in terms of roles, but that the rank thing is you know particularly Australians. You know, how did you have to um, uh, change the way that you led, or did it require a change? Was it just uh, same thing?
2: Yeah, look, um, my, my approach to leadership when I was, when I was in the military was um, was that um, uh, I treated everyone as people as being a person. Um, my view was that um, if um, you know the, the the best way of um, maintaining aircraft or doing whatever we were doing was to um, was to develop a team and uh, and a team and team is a is a group of people with a purpose. Um, it doesn't matter what uh, rank you've got on your shoulder; uh, mm-hmm. you just got to treat everyone as a as a as a person to get the best out of them. So you've got to know them as people; they've got to know you. Uh, they've got to understand how you tick. You've got to have good communication skills. You know, there's simple things like uh, you, know, you had to make sure that um, that there was a, a good flow of information upwards mm-hmm. um, so that people could say there's a problem with this aircraft or this component or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very important, in my opinion, not to have um, you know, a significant um, you know, rank-dominated uh, team structure um, mm-hmm. because that wasn't the most effective and wasn't most um, you know, it could even compromise in airworthiness of, uh, of aircraft sure. so sure. Uh, so that was a so I really didn't have to dramatically change that uh, style when I got into the corporate wheel
1: okay um, all right so you're at instant pivot you're in Australia now um, uh, so talk us through you know how things evolved um, over the next few years to you know eventually getting your current role as um, CEO of Concept.
2: Well, one of the um, uh, one of the the legacies that uh, Gordon Davis left me was. Um um, he was fantastic at, uh, at developing careers and uh, getting you to think about you know what your skills were and where you wanted to go in your career and, and uh, I've got a um, you know a, a lot of gratitude for the um, for the coaching and the support that he gave me in those those formative years um, and you know through through conversations and um, through um, you know, him. Feeding back to me what my strengths and weaknesses were, um, what uh, absolutely floated my boat was um, was to um, uh, run organisations and be responsible for for an outcome from a uh, from a you know, sales and marketing and an execution perspective uh, to maximise profit for organisations, and that was something that I I, I got from Gordon, um, and um, um, so um, so I. My desire, um, based on um, based on those discussions and the coaching they gave me, was to uh, look for look for um, roles that were um, you know, not just running you know, the operations or the maintenance of, a, of an organisation, but be responsible for the entire organisation. Um, so um, so I, when um, uh, so after four years, I think it was, I left um, uh, left the Orica Group um, and um, and. Um, started with um, with CSR uh, as the uh, the queensland operations manager for the chip rock fiber cement business mm-hmm. which was you know effectively everything other than uh, other than the sales and marketing side um, of the organization so it was it was running a business but but still not quite um, an entire business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, um, um, you know, I got the opportunity with um, with Weir um, a number of years later. Um, Rob Brown, um, he was uh, the regional managing director for the Weir uh, Weir Group. He saw the um, the benefits that um, I was able to to um, to, to bring to their organisation, and he appointed me as um, as the uh, managing director for the. Uh, uh, for Ware Minerals Multiflow, uh, mm-hmm. which was in Caloundra. Mm-hmm. and again that was um, the sales and marketing, the operations. It was a, a major um, going through a major restructure. Uh, the the uh, business had just been a it was a new acquisition of the Ware Group, and uh, they um, uh, there was a number of objectives there. Uh, number one was to get uh, all of the team integrated into the into the Ware organisation. Um, take the um, uh, the organisation had um, there was four factories in Calandra, um which uh, which there was obviously some significant um, inefficiencies running a a you know, large manufacturing facility, um, including you know, machining, assembly, painting, etc. In, um, in, in a in an organisation in a um, number of different um, factories. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so one of the things I had to do was um, um, specify and build a, a, a purpose-built building in Coolum, um, in mm-hmm. further mm-hmm. up the road. Um, so we, um, um, so um, after two or three years, um, we uh, took that organisation from Calandra, moved it up to Coolam, and we had. Um, so at that point, we probably had. Um, I think we were producing about one, one-and-a-half pumps, one-and-a-half uh, diesel-fired pumps every um, mm-hmm. every week. Um, we shifted up to, uh, up to Um We um, we lost one day's production, one shift's production by, you know, we had, I think, I think from memory there was about 16 um, large trucks that, um, that moved everything from uh, up to Coolum to Um and uh, we lost one day's production, mm. so we were up and running in the new facility in Coolum uh, with um, after losing one shift, which was amazing, uh, and uh, and we uh, increased production to uh, one per day. So, right. So we- Every day that we had a pump coming out of that factory, mm-hmm. um, which was a, it was a it was an amazing lesson in um, getting people to understand what the big picture was, understand mm-hmm. what the goal was, uh, work together, um, you know, just share that vision. Everyone everyone was safe uh, in uh, in all aspects of the word safe, um, not only from a from a physical perspective, but from a, um, an emotional perspective, so that everyone was able to. Um, um, to um, provide input into uh, in, into the plan uh, and the execution of that plan, and there was a, a seamless seamless execution as a result of that, um, and that, that was probably the the biggest lesson of that role. Is and one of the one of the um, one of my heroes is this guy Rob Brown, uh, and he um, uh, one of his philosophies was. Execute flawlessly. You know, come up with a plan, mm-hmm. but uh, but make sure that uh, the execution of that plan is as flawless as possible. So, mm-hmm. so uh, keep an eye on the details. Keep an eye on how how you're progressing, and make sure mm-hmm. people are involved.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that was um, that was a really yeah, really exciting move, and when, one of the yeah, you know, once we were. Once we sorted out the operational side of the business, the, uh, um, we um, spent a lot of time in, in redeveloping the organisation, the philosophy of the organisation. So the, the, um, the philosophy of the organisation was to you know, just sell big diesel pumps. That's what they wanted to do: sell mm-hmm. big diesel pumps. When we actually looked, looked around and had a look at, you know, well, what's the value that we are, um, uh, we're delivering to our customers? And uh, and the value was we were selling dry holes, um, mm-hmm. so we were um, getting rid of getting rid of water out of, uh, out of mines, so yeah. that um, they could continue to um, to mine coal or
0: mm-hmm.
2: iron ore or whatever it was. Um, so uh, so if if, our, if you redefined your value proposition from you know, selling big diesel pumps. To sell in dry holes, it actually opens up a, uh, a completely new market um, mm. and uh, and business philosophy. Um, so, it, as a result of that redefinition, we um, we started a business in um, uh, in rental uh, rental pumps, mm-hmm. um, in civil uh, civil and infrastructure pumps, um, in um, um, in um, uh, construction. Um, and uh, and oil and gas eventually into um, into some of the coal seam gas areas so so it it opened up the the, the addressable market for that business mm. significantly um, from going from just mine dewatering into all these other uh, all these other areas which um, which was a, a great way of um, attenuating any of the the peaks and troughs that you get in um, in that uh, in a resource-based business particularly with a, a lot of um, uh, a lot of revenue coming out of coal and and off- offshore coal. Mm-hmm. Um, so so then from there, um, um, I, I was um, uh, headhunted to move to a company called Smith uh, which is a, um, a, a Danish based company, um, and, and I was, uh, I was offered uh, the position of Asia Pacific um, uh, VP for um, uh, minerals processing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and um, so I, uh, I took that job on about two weeks before the price of coal went from from $100 a hundred dollars a ton down to down to twenty dollars a ton. So there was a completely different, um, um, a completely different leadership required. In that organisation, um, so we um, 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 so we had to right size the business for the uh, for the new um, the new normal. Um, had to uh, make sure all of the businesses were integrated and pulling in the right direction, um, and but. Yeah, the primary thing was to get the cost base under control for the, uh, uh, for the for the level of revenue that there was coming out of the mining industry at that point. So that was that was very much a, um, a, a, a there was lots of reorganizations, there was lots of um, lots of churn and burn. Um, and uh, I think the key lesson that I I took out of that uh, that period of time was that that um, if people are uh, are afraid at work. Then you, you, it's very difficult for them to execute um, the the um, execute projects that work towards your vision, mm-hmm. uh, because all they're doing is just looking after themselves and looking after their their job. Um, they don't trust the organisation as much. They don't. Um, uh, they um, um, they're spending their time um, looking after themselves rather than executing um, executing projects that will advance the mm. organisation. So it was a a really interesting um, period of period of time and um, working out um, how you get people how you get people to tick uh, mm. in those sort of uh, in that sort of negative environment. Mm. Um, but, but anyway, we we did right size the business and 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 uh, came through the other side, which was uh, which was, uh, which was good. And a credit to everyone that was um, was in the, in the organisation. But um, it was um, uh, people have to feel safe in order to uh, contribute towards um, the vision of the organisation, in my mm. opinion.
1: And I think also, um, and uh, again, knowing you are pressed the time, I don't want to segue too much here unless I can get you back. But, uh, you know, it's when, when this fear is a lot of the anxiety people feel are not necessarily things as their immediate leader you can control. You know, that, there's sort of a, another dimension to it because if if you could solve all their problems and take away all their fear, uh, then that's one thing. But when you're working within a larger corporate and there's a lot of things happening um, which you literally have no impact on being able to control, then it makes that Far more difficult, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, uh, far more difficult. Yeah, yeah, and and I think um, yeah, people like to um, feel a sense of, um, uh, of of ability to control their contribution to an organisation. Uh, and when, when organisations are going through a lot of a lot of um, reorganisations, um, it's difficult to get that control and that contribution and make that make that um, link between the
1: contribution they're making and the vision of the organisation because mm-hmm. everyone's concerned. Mm-hmm. And so do you mind if we sort of do a, a quick segue to concept? No right. So you, you joined Russell Mineral Equipment in Toowoomba now. You were there for a couple of years. Um, and that was your first sort of true CEO then, wasn't it? Yeah, correct. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and once again, they were in the sort of manufacturing industry um, uh, with a primary focus on manufacturing for, you know, the major sort of um, Electricity industry, is
2: that right? Uh, no major mining, mining oh, companies. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 So um, they they um, uh, made large um, large machines for uh, relining mills. Oh, that's mills.
1: right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and then, and, uh, and then, meanwhile, I think you were commuting up there. Your family was still in Brisbane,
2: is that right? Yeah, correct. So the family was still in Brisbane. So I was um, I was living in a flat up in uh, up in Toowoomba, um, right. which <laughs> which turned out to be unsustainable in the uh, in the longer term so yeah. um so uh so you yeah, look after um uh, you know it was it was going to be too hard to continue commuting to Toowoomba even though it was only two hours up the road yeah um, but yeah RME was a got a fantastic bunch of people in the company the uh, uh, the manufacturing capability of the organization is sensational the mm. products they make is sensational the The um, the markets they serve just um, just love RME product, Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, so yeah no look it was it was um, it was a shame but it didn't uh, didn't necessarily work out um, in that.
1: All right, and then along comes this this crazy headhunter and says, "Hey, Paul, have I got an opportunity for you?" Absolutely, Richard. (laughs) (laughs) So so uh, let me sort of paint a quick picture. So Concept Services, um, owned by two very entrepreneurial guys. Um, have done a fantastic job over, you know, um, roughly ten years in building this business. Um, uh, decided that they needed to take the business to the next level, and probably realised that they needed to bring somebody in who was a true CEO, could bring that governance and, you know, um, uh, operational experience. Uh, they had engaged with um, an organisation who put in an interim CEO to help them through this period, a guy named Brad Shaw, who uh, I think we both have a lot of respect for. And, in fact, he's going to be my next guest on the podcast uh, talking about what he's up to. But um, and, then, and then we went through a recruitment process and you were successful in getting the job. So uh, what I'm interested in, um, you know, we've still got 10 minutes, so we've got a fair bit of time to explore this. You saw the opportunity. There was obviously things about the opportunity that inspired you that you were interested in taking the role. They say, okay, Paul, welcome to the team. Um, Here's your mandate, all right? And then now, a year later, um, there's been tremendous success. And I don't know from a confidentiality point of view how much we can talk about, but it'd be fair to say, your impact on the business in terms of improving revenue um, has been substantively more than uh, what they had initially anticipated, correct? Um, yeah, yeah, look, um, still a, <laughs> a long way to go. <laughs> uh, I'll blow a Paul's trumpet Right. So Paul, look, Basically, if I talk to the guys who own the business, they say, to me, Paul's done an awesome job. You know, Brad, who is the guy that came in to help them to get to the place to appoint Paul, you know, said Paul's done, done an awesome job. So you don't need... That's me blowing your trumpet. Thank and, you, Richard. Thank you, you know, for blowing my trumpet. That's so that's all right. Uh, feel free to blow mine anytime. Um, that's uh, Anyway, we should uh, we do, let's move away from that line. That thing's all very weird. Um, right. So, but, you know, it's very different looking at a business and trying to understand a business to actually then being in the business, um, and and getting in and understanding the culture and the personalities and, and starting to sort of open the cupboards and look at the skeletons and lift the, you know, the rug and and so on and so forth. So I'm just interested more from your own sort of headspace, you know, pre-appointment, appointment, appointment, a year later after appointment, how how have you managed to, um, uh, to, I don't even know what the right word is, you know, to, Bring together three different views, pre-appointment, appointment a year later, and get some sort of continuity to that thought. Or was it really radical? I thought it was this. Holy, it's not like that at all. It's like this a year later. Oh, it's not like it. Or was it more um, consistent?
2: Yeah, it was. It was very consistent. I think that. Um, yeah, looking at pre-appointment, I think the um, the openness uh, of Sean and Karen um, and the um uh you know, the vision they had for the organization and what they'd done with the organization for the, for the last 10 years it was it was extremely visible and extremely extremely evident mm-hmm. uh, so that was that was number one you know that they're really open with information um, they struck me both of being very um values based people um mm-hmm. and uh and that has absolutely continued over yeah. the, over the subsequent 12 months um, so they they have got very strong values and um, those values are reflected in the organization so it's the values of you know looking after people um, it's the values of um, financial conservatism uh, it's the values of making sure that you've got a really clear picture about where you're going mm-hmm. um, and um, looking leading people uh, as opposed to managing people mm-hmm. uh, but equally um, you know over the last over the last 12 months they've um, um they have let go of the day-to-day running of the organization and mm-hmm. uh, and the execution of the strategy mm-hmm. um and, and i think uh,
1: coming into a family-owned well not necessarily family-owned business but a, um uh an owner-managed business as their inaugural ceo mm. that's got to be something that weighs on every candidate's mind is you know how these guys have a a desire to step back but you know how do they really want to step back you know how much are they going to step back that that must have played on your mind like would anybody who comes in. yeah Uh, yeah and, and it did
2: um and because you know i have had an experience where um uh there was a, a disconnect between uh, what was what was uh, said before appointment and how it was executed after appointment. So, so it certainly was a concern. So, so number one for me is is it was a chemistry between myself and the, and the directors and mm-hmm. the shareholders, and um, which there was. Um, mm-hmm. How open were they? And they were both extremely open. Um, they, um, they, would know, um, you know, they they were no, you know, they're uh, no. Uh, they're very clear communicators uh, mm-hmm. so they um, uh, they know uh, and that was something that was a major plus for me um, but the, I, I think the ba- the basis uh, for me was that uh, you know after you know, meeting them from number of weeks or months in different meetings I felt as though I could trust them
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that was uh, that was something that was really important and, and uh, um, you yeah, the, the last 12 13 months has um, has proven that that um, uh, that that um um that belief that I had at the start was actually has a, is actually true you know, they, mm-hmm. they are trustworthy they do do what they you will know, say what they're going to do uh, they actually they do it mm-hmm. um, and um uh, and they're very open you know, in, in both directions about getting feedback so mm-hmm. so so I think that was a, that was a solid uh, foundation because there's no way that um we would have had the success that we have had over the last twelve months if that if that basis, basic trust-personal relationship wasn't there.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Paul, uh, 12 months into the role and, uh, you know, fantastic uh, outcomes and it sounds as though things are moving ahead very much in line with your desires and expectations. So when you look out to the future now, um, you know, what are the kind of things that you're excited about for the business, say, for the next five years or so?
2: Yep. Yeah, no problems sir, Richard. Uh, I, I think the, the first thing is, is the foundation. And, uh, um, you know, I'm a strong believer that um, you know, uh, future development and future growth of a business is founded in, um, in, in consistent values. And the good thing about concept is um, there's a very strong culture, uh, very strong values from the founders. Um, that are aligned with myself uh, and uh, you know, the majority of the people within the organization. So a- as a result of having values alignment or value alignment, um, it makes it a lot easier to get things done. And if you look at um, uh, you know, what the future holds for us, you know, we've got this, um, uh, this technology that's, uh, that's been developed in, uh, in coal seam gas. Um, and we're, um, we're taking that core technology and adapting it to uh, our target markets um, where um, there's going to be value, uh, value in, in that technology and also the, the, the value in what concept can bring um, in terms of um, execution, remote execution. You know good safety record, um, efficient uh, project management, etc. So, so the future is about um, getting some uh, some really good market share in these emerging markets um, that uh, that there are, and these these emerging markets are significant growth opportunities. Um, so the markets are. Um, you know, if you look at, at biogas uh, in uh, from a from so biogas from liquid waste streams, there's um, it's a very very untapped market in Australia, and uh, the technology that we can bring uh, into that um, into that market. Uh, makes it an extremely viable uh, from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so w- we're um, able with, without without a carbon tax and not getting political about it, but without a, without a carbon tax and without uh, significant support from uh, from us taxpayers, um, we're able to get viable projects up mm-hmm. in uh, in biogas, so taking taking liquid waste streams and and uh, and uh, solid waste streams. Mixing them up, um, getting um, uh, getting the right the right bags uh, to produce methane, um, and we can get um, we can get uh, some really really solid um, numbers out of the out of these projects as a result of the technology that we've got. Now in the past. Uh, it has been difficult for companies to get, I um, guess, projects up and running, because um, you know, there wasn't the, the there wasn't the taxpayer subsidies to make these things happen like there are over in Europe. Mm-hmm. But uh, with um, with uh, better execution, with better technology, with some um, some financial benefits that we bring on the cost side, these projects are all all of a sudden going to become viable and. Uh, um, yeah, that's that's effectively an untapped market that we can mm-hmm. we can um, number one get into, build the plant, um, and uh, our vision for the future is that we can we build, own and operate these um, generating facilities, so generating gas and then generating
1: mm-hmm.
2: using that gas, selling the gas or, mm-hmm. or selling the electricity that comes from the gas.
1: And as so, they built, Paul, on the I presume this is in a sort of a farming context, right?
2: Uh, not necessarily. Um, it could be abattoirs, it could be um, chicken processing facilities. Okay, so
1: livestock, yeah. right? So uh, yeah. And so you would build these facilities on the farmer's land. Correct. Right. Great. Oh, it's interesting. I had another client uh, who is doing the same thing with solar. Um, uh, Geodynamics, uh, which rebranded as Renew Energy, a listed nice. energy company in Brisbane. Yes, um, but the CEOs moved on since then, and I don't know where they got to with that strategy. Well,
2: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah no uh, uh, that, that's a that's a really interesting company, and they, um, um, uh, I, I think the 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 gap that they uh, that they had is the um, cost-effective technology that can actually actually generate the gas. Right. Um, so that's that's the gap that we can fill.
1: Right. Okay. Oh, that sounds exciting. And I think from um, in my conversations in the past with the owners of concept, because of the size and the sort of um, uh, the transportation challenges, uh, they hadn't really sort of pursued international markets at that time. Is yep. that on the drawing board or not?
2: Yeah. So we've... Um, We've signed up a, a um, distribution arrangement with um, with a former colleague of mine in Indonesia. Okay. Um, so, uh, so specifically around these biogas opportunities, is mm-hmm. um, even though uh, you know, a lot of the country is actually built on coal, there's a huge um, energy deficit up in Indonesia and there's um, obviously large waste streams. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so, uh, so, through this former colleague of, of ours, we're uh, um, uh, we're building a, a distribution arrangement for selling biogas facilities up into um, that um, Eastern or Southeast Asian uh, region. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, yeah, no, uh, um, it's definitely on the cards. Uh, also over in New Zealand. Right. Um, we've got a couple of opportunities over there in the moment.
1: Okay. So uh, it's all happening.
2: It is all happening, Richard. <laughs> it's
1: all happening. <laughs> At the height of coronavirus, uh, right. when the world is in dire straits, uh, all of these companies are... Uh, Surviving and thriving. Who would have thunk it?
2: Well, the the, the interesting thing about um, the coronavirus is we've taken this as a as an op, uh, as a catalyst, and taken the coronavirus as a catalyst to uh, to rebuild our business, mm-hmm. um, to completely change the way we operate, um, to uh, to become more nimble, uh, to become. You know, better at sharing information throughout the organisation mm-hmm. um, and uh, using that as a way to pivot to other, other, uh, other markets. So, uh, so we've actually found it to be uh, quite therapeutic.
1: Right. So at a practical level, what does that mean, though? I mean, uh, does that mean gearing up the business to enable people to work from home or, you know, is it far more reaching than that? What, what exactly are you uh, suggesting?
2: So, um, so, so one of the, um, I, I came across this, um, uh, this group called the McChrystal group and there's a guy, um, uh, Christopher, Christopher Fasel, I think. Um, and he ran a, um, uh, there was a, he did a, um, uh, a LinkedIn video, um, podcast, uh, with Simon Sinek and yep. he talked about some of the systems that they had in place in, uh, in Afghanistan, when he was over there working for General McChrystal, about right. um, uh, about some of the they, they had a you know meeting every morning, an hour meeting every morning mm-hmm. that they invited you know, seven odd thousand troops to uh, participate in this meeting, and it was uh, he said it was very clunky at the start. Mm-hmm. But um, what what it did is um, yeah, the the um, the enemy out there was a, was effectively a network. Um, it mm-hmm. was a, a network of uh, of terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've got is uh, at the moment is there's a there's a network of things happening out in the environment. So his thesis was that if you if you change your organisation, if you get rid of hierarchies, if you eliminate um, silos. Then uh, you're far better to uh, to be able to counteract the uh, you know, what's going on in the environment. Mm-hmm. So we we pick that up and uh, and it's um, so we we have a you know, half an hour meeting every morning uh, where we uh, everyone in the organisation is invited to. Um, it's a video conference so that mm-hmm. um, people out in the field can participate. Um, it's literally half an hour a day where we talk about everything that's happening. We talk about um, some of these growth growth initiatives that we're mm-hmm. working on, uh, talk about the financial performance, talk about the sales we're making, the cash that's coming in, mm-hmm. so that every all of that information, everything that's important to um, everyone in the organisation is, uh, is privy to that, or, that information. Now and as a result it of that... To, sorry,
1: why does that need to happen daily? You know, it sounds to me as though there'd be a fair bit of, you know, repetition, some of those statistics, et cetera. What what's the, the the benefit of doing it daily versus say weekly, for example?
2: Um, well, I, I, I guess it is it's a pretty dynamic environment, and there's uh, mm-hmm. there's information that's changing every day. You know, mm-hmm. For example, you know um, which ones of our coal seam gas customers are spending money, which ones aren't, what projects mm-hmm. are coming in, which ones are delayed. Um, uh, so th- so there is actually a fair amount of churn and burn on a daily basis. But equally, mm-hmm. what it does some of these more strategic initiatives. Um, we can uh, we can make sure that, the, that there's actions that are happening every day, and we can. It's a forum for feeding back to make sure that that uh, these actions are actually occurring, mm. um, and we get it done in half an hour and and mm. uh, and, and move on and get things done. So it's okay. so we found it to be a really um, a really good process for mm-hmm. uh, uh, for developing to the. Yeah, want for want of a better work than new normal mm-hmm. and uh, and take advantage of some of these strategic initiatives that we've had on our on our plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but get in there quicker and get in there okay. from a, in a more nimble fashion. All and right. Bring in, bring everyone along with us, which has been
1: great. So uh, you've mentioned culture and uh, many times through this conversation and so you know that's just one further piece of evidence about the the type of culture that you want to run there, Paul. Uh, so um uh, it sounds as though, you know, coming back to the coronavirus situation, it's enabled you to rethink how do you communicate across the business and so on. So in general, it's been a positive experience for you.
2: Look, I, um, I think the, uh, we used it as a catalyst to be a positive experience. So. So rather than rather than us being a victim of mm-hmm. of the uh, of the coronavirus and what was going on in the environment, we've used it as a as a mechanism for um, for getting us to our, our preferred uh, situation uh, quicker. Look at that! For what you uh, I'm loving <laughs> <wondering>.
1: it. <laughs> A very
2: very wise person taught me that, Richard.
1: is uh, so all right, Paul. Uh, well, let's come back to that because uh, I'm I'm digging digging the use of the words. So, and what about for yourself? I mean, um, you know, you've had a, uh, uh, you know, some really interesting roles and some senior roles, and you know, this is the latest uh, iteration in Paul's career. Five years time, what do you hope for yourself then?
2: Uh look, I, what I hope for myself is um, is that. Um, um, yeah, I'm still the, mm-hmm. the CEO of Concept. Um, Concept has turned out to be a couple of hundred million dollar company uh, operating in um, in uh, in um, many countries, not just Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, operating in many industries, and not just coal seam gas. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um, and the, um, uh, the the shareholders and our people within the organisation. Um, are getting a substantial amount of job satisfaction out of what they're yeah. what they're doing, um, and we're contributing in some small way to uh, uh, to meeting meeting some of the water needs of the country, meeting some yeah. of the energy needs of the country, um, and the world um, uh, to uh, to solve some of the um, some of the, the, the pressing uh, pressing problems that we uh, we have coming down the uh, coming down the hill towards us at the moment.
1: Well, that's excellent. One of the the other people in my Champions Forum, and in fact, I interviewed him just prior to you, was uh, a guy named Rob Ashdown has put together a $200 million fund for um, investing in clean energy. So right. um, uh, I'll have to uh, hook you guys up to have a chat. I'm sure that it'll would be, be interesting.
2: One. That would be very good.
1: Oh, that's that excellent. No worries. Leave it with me. And so, Paul, look, um, before we wrap it up, if I could just be a little self-serving for a moment. Um, you know, we've mentioned a couple of times the Champions Forum, which you've been alone to a few now. Uh, I'm just interested in if you could just share, you know, briefly what's your experience been like?
2: Uh, yeah, look, I think um, what I've found with the Champions Forum is that um, yeah, the, the problems that um, I've got and the problems that uh, Concept's got um, um we're not Robinson Crusoe there's uh, lots of other people out there that um, that have similar and related uh, related issues what I found with the, the champions forum is it's a um, number one the framework about um, you know the the uh, the the preferred reality and the current reality and, and how you get from your preferred reality to your current reality is um, I, th- I think it's a great um, a great visual uh, construct to have in your mind all the time. Um, so that's number one, uh, something I've learned uh, in the uh, in the forum. But number two, uh, just you know, just um, uh, bouncing problems off of people that that you haven't got a um, you know a substantial interpersonal relationship in the uh, you know, currently. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's amazing the the different perspectives that you get from people who are who are like minded uh, and who have got similar problems to uh, to yourself. So it's been a great way of of um, of, of clarifying um, clarifying issues, clarifying what needs to be done, uh, and it's done in a really safe, um, you know, um, confidential uh, manner. Mm-hmm. Um, because and, and it's you know sort of you know that you have uh, you have mentors and people you can talk to within your organisation, but it's actually really good to get a perspective from outside the organisation and mm-hmm. completely different, uh, completely different markets um, and get their uh, get their wisdom. Mm-hmm. So I found it. They're a fantastic bunch of people, um, facilitated really well, uh, and uh, I've got a lot out of it in terms of uh, driving, um, uh, moving myself forward and moving the organisation forward.
1: Excellent. Thank
0: you, Paul. I really recommend it.
1: Thank you. Look forward to having you in for a a long time to come. So, uh, all right, Paul, look, I really appreciate you taking the time out for uh, the Arate uh, podcast. Um, Have a fantastic afternoon and uh, look forward to seeing you along the Champions Forum very safe.
2: Thank you very much, Richard. Thanks for your time and thanks for the opportunity of talking to you in this right. podcast. Good on you. Thanks. For cheers, mate. Cheers. See you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Arate Podcast with Richard Triggs. We frequently feature guests from organizations we are currently recruiting to build the company brand as an attraction strategy for candidates. If you would like to promote your organization's brand as an employer of choice, please contact Richard directly on 0403 588 517 or via email T at arateexecutive.com.au. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.